Today on the Savvy Citizen Podcast, we're talking about diabetes. And despite what you might have heard from Wilford Brimley all those years, just eating a bowl of oatmeal every morning isn't exactly the best way to go about preventing it. We're talking with Linda Mingus and Carly Roseman from the North Carolina Cooperative Extension here in Gaston County about a program they're offering next month and some different health tips for you if you're interested in preventing diabetes. Welcome in to another edition of the Savvy Citizen Podcast. I'm Adam Gobb, uh, alongside Elizabeth McGee, and we're here today with Linda Mingus and with Carly Roseman. Uh, Carly is a dietetic intern with uh, the North Carolina Cooperative Extension here in Gaston County, and she is a student at Lenore Ryan University. We're talking today about diabetes, and Linda, um, obviously this is something I know from, from the health per- department's perspective, that is, that's a big thing for, for Gaston County, for sure. Yeah, it absolutely is. And for the podcast, I was looking at some of the most current data from CDC. It's really interesting because currently the seventh leading cause of death in the U.S. and North Carolina is diabetes. So when we look at the cost and the long-term implications, that, you know, that really shows why there's such a focus with our health prevention programs here in Gaston County. So this is something from the standpoint of some of the programs that you offer through Cooperative Extension. Um, there's a lot of different things, whether it's more focused on um, exercise or dieting, um, that really can play a role in helping people to um, either manage their diabetes or potentially, um, you know, for, for folks that, because there's obviously different types of diabetes. There's the inherited version versus the one that basically is, you can develop it over time. This is something that that can be helpful for folks that are that are potentially dealing with that or already dealing with that. You know, it's really interesting because Carly and I were looking at some of the data for North Carolina, and one of the things that I thought was interesting, and we pulled up a map. The eastern part of our state is called the Diabetes Belt, according oh, to CDC, and we were actually looking to see where the number of diabetes providers and centers were and also along with those diabetes self-education programs we were available and we noticed that in that part of our state there are a lot fewer so here in Gaston County for example we're very fortunate we have many resources through our Caremont Regional Hospital through Contegra and then also we have um, our programs that that I'll tell you about the Living Healthy with Diabetes program that is sponsored through the Centralina Area Agency on Aging and we offer that free of no cost to residents and actually the 7 to 11 counties surrounding Gaston County and we're very fortunate because we have volunteers, extension staff, and the Gaston County Senior Center and adult services staff that are vol- that are trained in that curriculum to teach it. And in fact, part of the reason we're talking about this topic today is that we will be offering our next Living Healthy with Diabetes workshop in November in Gaston County, and that will be in person. So we're really pleased to offer that. And who can attend a program like that? Do you have to have a diagnosis or what if you're, you know, maybe you've talked to your, with your doctor about some pre-diabetes? That is a, an excellent question. So anyone can attend as long as you're adult. So we really recommend if you're at risk for diabetes, if you have been diagnosed with pre-diabetes, you already have diabetes, or maybe you have a loved one who has diabetes. Um, You know, as you can imagine, there's a lot of misinformation, especially in the world 
of nutrition, and Carly will be able to give you more information on that. But the many times that we see the instances where family members or friends are trying to police a loved one or someone Mm. with diabetes and maybe they're having them or encouraging them to do something that's really not the best thing for them to do Mm. I see that quite a bit and those are some of the things that we talk about in our workshop like what's one example of something that you might think would be good for someone with diabetes but is not actually helpful Carly can you think of one off the top of your head that comes to mind um so kind of like going off of the nutrition myths of diabetes that we talked about. So I actually did a webinar on the nutrition myths about diabetes. And one of the main things that we kind of talked about was eating foods high in sugar. Um, We did kind of like a true and false. And one of the true and false questions was eating foods high in sugar causes diabetes, which is actually false. Really? Um, Yeah, it is. So we kind of want to focus in on more reading that food label, um, concentrating on the carbohydrates, Uh, some on the sugar and just kind of overall um, focusing on your diet, eating more um, of those starchy vegetables and non-starchy vegetables. Um, So that is one one thing that we did look at in that webinar. So along with that, so for example, many folks will often say, you should not be eating fruit, you have diabetes. Mm. And you should not eat corn, you have diabetes. Why? Mm. Because it's too sugary? Because it's sugary or Mm. starchy. And you know, folks often report that even their healthcare providers have at some point have shared that with them. And hmm. that may have been the case, you know, years ago, or there could have been some misinterpretation. So part of this education is really about understanding the the concept of total carbohydrates. And we do talk about added sugars versus no added sugars. And, you know, fruits and vegetables are all such great nutrient sources, so we do talk about that and, of course, choosing some of those less starchy, what, what I often call watery vegetables, maybe things you like would have in a salad. Like watermelon. <laughs> but if you think of, like, traditional yeah. vegetables you would put in a salad, that's okay. a okay. good way for folks to Cucumbers. understand. Cucumbers. Cucumbers. Tomatoes. Spinach. Yeah, yeah like those that. are great options. Okay. Yeah, so we do, you know, that understanding, no added sugars is a big one. Um and I, can we pause on that for a second? Yes. Like I know this is probably obvious to a lot of people out there, but no added sugars just means it's not the sugar is naturally occurring, right? We're not putting extra sugar into the dish. Yeah, the way that I kind of understand it, because that was something that I it was hard for me to understand, but uh, to put it into simpler terms, maybe think about like fresh strawberries from your garden and say I know like in the south we like to add sugar to our strawberries in a dish Mm -hmm. so that added sugar would be adding in like that table sugar into your strawberries strawberries are already really sweet on their own Mm -hmm. yeah okay and we also talk about so for example um, when it comes to food labels so candies or um, uh, syrups that you would use at breakfast time Mm -hmm. you know they they're often marketed with this no added sugar concept Mm -hmm. but when you turn over the label guess what they have lots of carbohydrate so where is that carbohydrate coming from we talk about the added starch, you know, flour, and many times the regular candy bar is very similar than the no added sugar or, uh, art, you know, the ones that are using Splenda and some of those um, are very similar because they still have those key components. So we really try to focus on that total carbohydrate. Yeah, so I was going to 
ask about that because my question is leading to it gets more complicated when you think about sugar substitutes like Splenda or what if I made a smoothie that had like a bunch of dates in it, you know, like is is this what we're trying to get at is, you know, in terms of total carbohydrates, we're not we don't care whether you're putting a tablespoon of sugar in there or like 40 dates into your smoothie. The idea is just limit your total carbohydrates. Yeah, uh that, yeah, that's a great example. And, you know, it's often complicated when we talk about the best management for diabetes because, mm-hmm. you know, like Carly said, we're in the South. And think about how much tea, how much sugar goes into tea when we are out. That, you know, always blows my mind. Mm-hmm. So, for example, a good practice maybe for someone who is typically drinking sweetened tea is to use unsweetened and to use some sugar alternatives. And many times family members will say, well, those are not good for you. You should not be using those. Mm -hmm. Those can have a place if there's no allergies or food problems per se or side effects. They're FDA regulated. So that can really be a useful tool for someone who has diabetes and they're trying to manage added sugar. Now, Carly and I have also talked about certain products like if you're baking cakes and products like that, not all artificial sweeteners work well because when you think about the role of sugar, it's not just to sweeten those products. Sure. It's used to tenderize, to give volume, to browning them. Mm. So um, there's a lot more role. So sometimes it's better if you're going to have cake to have real cake, but to modify your portion size. Mm. Ah, okay. And, you know, we in America, it's really we have this concept that all things are either good or bad. And if it's good, I can have all that I want or none. So we really are trying to transition folks and especially managing diabetes of teaching them how to learn that, uh, yes, dates are great, but if you're managing diabetes and you have way too many in your smoothie, it can really elevate your blood sugar. And dried fruit especially, because it's so concentrated, and there's a lot of the water is gone, can be one that really drives up blood sugars. What are some of the, what does it feel like when your blood sugar gets too high? So there are some um, specific like factors that you can look out for. Um, Some warning signs would be like um, you would feel fatigued, um, kind of uh, you get very thirsty, you have an increase of thirst, um, blurred vision, I know with type 2 diabetes, some of those warning signs are, like, specifically, um, like, numbness in your limbs and bruising. Um, so there's some there's some factors in there that you can kind of pay attention for um, whenever your blood sugar spikes up or if you actually are diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. One of our trained facilitators, she has diabetes, and we've worked together for a long time. She's now retired. But she says when her blood sugars are high, she feels wonderful. She says, I feel great. She also, she starts to have slurred speech. Mm -hmm. And, you know, often when people have not yet been diagnosed and if they're behind the wheel, then, you know, officer may pull them over and they have that slurred speech and they're checking to see if they've been drinking and driving. So it can, yeah. So the symptoms from person to person, you know, really vary. And that's part of what we talk about in this self-management program is learning. Some people may have no symptoms, you know, when their blood sugars are high, none that they detect. Another common thing that I have seen is folks will, they will say, oh, I'm feeling dizzy. I need to eat. My blood sugars are low. Mm -hmm. 
you can have similar symptoms for high and low blood sugar. My father-in-law would often say that. And I said, before you grab that piece of fruit, you need to check your blood sugar. And guess what? It was running high. Mm. And if your blood sugars have been running high for quite some time, when you start to bring it back down to a normal level, it may feel like you're having a low blood sugar. We hear a lot of folks talking about that. So it takes a while to get acclimated to, to being normal. Mm-hmm. And I, to add on to that, I have a family friend, and whenever her blood sugars get really high, she starts sweating a lot, and her face gets really red. And so that is just, it. like Linda said, it varies from person to person for sure. And what are some of the long-term effects of diabetes? Oh, so I know one, for example, for um, type 2 diabetes, I guess specifically um, the neuro, neuropath, neuropath, neuropathy, neuropathy yeah. um, which is like the tingling in your limbs and um at some point, they actually go numb, and then you kind of you don't feel that anymore in your mm-hmm. limbs and your feet and in your hands. So that is just one of those long-term effects for sure um, with diabetes. And just to jump onto that to add a little bit more information, it's very interesting because of that nerve damage, it can impact your eyes and, you know, cause issues with blindness and also the feet and, you know, that loss of feeling. And you may often hear about folks who've had uncontrolled diabetes and they're having amputations it can also cause issues with hearing loss and we're starting to learn more and hear more about the research with that because think about those tiny blood vessels and capillaries in your ears and you know that control that that do the sound in your head um when your blood sugars are high, there's damage to that. Um, there's also damage that can happen to your gut, and it causes issues with malabsorption or food insensitivities. Um, and, it, you know, it's really been interesting. I've been working with the Diabetes Self-Management Program for probably 10 years, and the number of people who have reported, like, what their their side effects are can vary so much. And sometimes you can have severe symptoms with only a little bit of highs where your blood sugars are running high. Um, we had one gentleman that had neuropathy past his knees. Wow. And he had so it had really progressed, although he had kept his blood sugar under fairly good control for the years. We also had another participant who ended up having major dental issues Mm -hmm. because, again, those capillaries. So it can very much be unique to the person. Uh And you you mentioned before of a scenario of uncontrolled diabetes. What what are the differences in terms of long-term health for managed versus unmanaged diabetes? Linda, do you want to start us off sure, with that one? Sure, and I can absolutely. Kind of bounce off from yeah, that. so, um, you know, one of the things that typically that we see with diabetes um, is that once you have been diagnosed, there may be some underlying health um, issues like related to heart disease. So often your physician's going to check and make sure that you've got, you know, um, we want to make sure that your cholesterol and your blood lipids, like your triglycerides, are under con- good control so that doesn't create a cardiovascular issue such as a heart attack. We also want to focus on good kidney health because, um, again, our kidneys are responsible for also controlling our blood sugars and getting that excess glucose out of the urine. And so that's why we often hear about dialysis being a long-term side effect. So we want to maintain healthy eyes as well, um, heart, and even, you know, 
when you have diabetes, you're also at risk for other cancers like pancreatic cancer. Um, so I've seen, you know, through the course of my career, I've seen a lot of issues with heart attacks and dialysis. And if you're at, at groups that have are at higher risk, for, for example, um, the um, Native Indian and also African Americans, we tend to see more issues with diabetes, then it's very important to maintain good health. So often um, healthcare providers and with the current standards of care for diabetes, they may start you on some uh, blood pressure medications to help control that, and also that helps to protect your kidneys. So the prevention, it is never too late to start. And in fact, you know, one of the things we share, especially for family members, is that the meal plans and the the st- and the some of the lifestyle issues that we talk about are good for everybody. Sure. You know, so that's it makes it a little bit easier to adopt as a as a lifestyle. But the other thing that I want to also mention, it's not just about good nutrition. And that's one of the things that we we spend a lot of time talking about. Um, when folks come into the class, it fascinates me because so many people will say, I don't know why my blood sugars are high. I don't have any control. So they really don't feel the sense of control, self-control. Mm-hmm. And that is scary for many folks. Mm-hmm. So part of the program that we teach, which is a national evidence-based program, is helping them to look at to if they are monitoring blood sugars. And, of course, not everyone is. Um, and so if they are, we teach them to how to test and to understand. And also, what are the things that you should be looking at? So, for example, are you getting enough sleep? We know that smoking is a big you know, issue and has a big negative impact if you're managing diabetes. We know that talking with your healthcare provider and navigating and having a good relationship and managing your medications is so important. Mm-hmm. Um, but we also talk about managing our emotions. So there's a lot of those tools that we talk about. So nutrition is definitely important, and that's the one that comes up, physical exercise and activity, but it's not the only thing that's very important to managing blood sugar levels. We've talked about the social determinants of health. I know we have on this podcast before, and I feel like it just keeps coming up again and again that health is more than just, you know, what are you eating or are you exercising enough? It really is, you know, how is your family system functioning and are you, do you have good support systems, you have access to transportation, all of this stuff. Absolutely. And I just saw yesterday research that came out and it was talking about, you know, we know this just from living life and dealing with COVID, Mm -hmm. but now the research even supports that folks that live in isolation, that that increases their hormonal levels that has impacted negatively diabetes management. So we know that. And now looking at programs to get people out of isolation is so important. Absolutely. One of the things that kind of came up as we were having this conversation is I feel like a lot of times people equate being at risk for diabetes with being obese. And I'm sure that that is a, certainly a risk factor, you know, but is it possible for people that are not obese to still develop diabetes? Yes, it is. Absolutely. Because, you know, genetics can play quite a bit. And also, um, Carly, I don't know if you want to talk a little bit about the types of diabetes, because that can be an underlying issue as well. Yeah. So 
Um, I can break those types down. So type 1 is um, normally it's caused by an autoimmune destruction of cells in your pancreas, and the pancreas actually produces your insulin. Mm -hmm. So when those um, cells are destructed in the pancreas, um, you're not able to produce that insulin that you need. And um, here, that is where the body does not produce enough insulin. So, um, for instance, like with type 1 diabetes, you're more likely to take an insulin injection and get that insulin that you need into your body. And then with type 2, you're insulin resistant, and that's typically found in adults. um, And that is actually the most common type of diabetes. Um, So that actually counts for 90% of um, diagnosed diabetes. So, yeah, that's a pretty pretty big number for sure. But, um, you know, your risk for developing type 2 diabetes kind of depends on your age, um, your weight, physical inactivity, um, stress levels, things like that. And then we also, one thing that we haven't talked about is um, gestational diabetes, which occurs during pregnancy, and it is due to hormone changes. Um, and that occurs in about 10% of pregnancies. And along with that, many times... Moms who do have gestational diabetes, they're more at risk to develop type 2 later on. Um, So it does become very important to manage that and mm -hmm. to be aware of that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, those are the two types of diabetes. And along with that, we have a whole other area of pre-diabetes, which is a huge population. And, you know, um, there's blood testing and God, you know, criteria mm-hmm. for all of that. But there's a lot of us, again, if we just were a little bit more active and lost just a little bit of weight, it can help our bodies to be able to manage and utilize our insulin and get it into the muscles a lot more effectively. So just a small amount of weight loss, 10%. You know, so if someone weighed 200 pounds, that's only about 20 pounds. Mm -hmm. Um, So weight loss and also physical activity can help better improve and even help manage prediabetes. So it's not all, you know, I've seen a lot of folks come through our programs. They have type 2 diabetes and they don't have weight issues. Mm -hmm. Um, So that, you know, we do see the norm, you know, that most folks could benefit from some weight loss. But again, you know, not knowing your family history or if there's been a strong family history, that can be the case as well. Are you able to speak a little bit more to the science behind a relationship between, you know, weight and diabetes? Like, is it fat or is it physical activity that's more the the mover for <laughs> for making you more at risk for developing diabetes? I don't know if this completely answers your question, but um, we're starting to learn more and more, regardless of your weight the role of physical activity in terms of helping to control and bring those blood sugars down, Mm. how important that is. I'm I'm asking because, you know, I feel like nowadays we're kind of learning that you can be very physically active, um, but maybe still be a bigger size and maybe you're still a healthy person. Um, So exercise and weight aren't necessarily a one-to-one relationship, right? Right. So I'm curious, is it more your body weight or is it more your physical activity that's driving the likelihood of developing Well, I think some of it also goes back to family history Mm, and, you know, in the genetic component as well. And then those other lifestyle factors, you know, are smokers, you know, that can be additional risk as well. Um, And then if you have some other underlying health issues, do you already have diabetes? Do you already have, you know, high blood pressure? Because those 
body, bodily systems, kidneys and um, pancreas, they all work together. So sometimes one disease is a secondary um, impact because of a, another disease. So it, is, it does become a little bit more complicated. That is why it's so important to have that conversation with your healthcare provider so they can get a better understanding of your history, you know, looking at, you know, what is important for your management and what are some of your risks as well. So, you know, in that healthcare team, your physician, your pharmacist, your dietitian, your diabetes educator, that may be, you know, a nurse who or a dietitian who has some additional training with that. I always say kudos to the number of pharmacists that are out there because often that is our first line of communication. Mm. And I was talking with my pharmacist last week and she has two children who have type 1 diabetes. And she was telling me that some of the research now shows because type 1 is an autoimmune related disease and now the research is showing that children are more increased to develop um, celiac disease which is related to a gluten-free diet so we were having some conversation and I was telling her you know in the number of years I've worked with extension which has been about 20 the changes in medication and all of these self-monitoring systems that are out there and she said you know I've told my kids and, you know, that it is one, they live in the best time of all if they, if you're going to be a child with diabetes, because these new systems where you have a little patch and you're not having to do finger sticks. um, So there's a lot of that management now, but medications change all the time and that can really impact how you need to eat. And so there really isn't a one-size-fits-all approach as well. So there's so many options out there, so it can really be tailored to you and your lifestyle more than ever before. So starting with that conversation with your healthcare provider, if you feel like you're at risk or you've been told, you know, you probably have prediabetes, this is a great time to take advantage of these community resources because – you know, it, it costs money. Once you are checking blood sugars, all of the tools that it takes to check your blood sugar, you have to have a prescription for, and it costs money. I've learned so much and heard so much impact from folks who are dealing with this. And once you retire and you go on Medicare, guess what? Mm-hmm. The costs are even higher. Wow. So the more that we can do to control that and to reduce, um, the more, you know, it really does impact your quality of health and your budget. So, Linda, you've been on this podcast to talk about a lot of extension programs. We've talked about med instead of meds. We've talked about, I think, seasonal food workshops. Do you are you able to tailor these workshops that you offer to special diets? like or a diabetes situation? That's a great question. So um, yes and no. So my role with extension, I do not provide one-on-one medical nutrition therapy, mm-hmm. um, but we do work in conjunction. And for example, um, and I've seen some folks who can really benefit from that. And um, through working with Central Lina Area Agency on Aging, one of the things we've learned and we share with folks is that once you're diagnosed with diabetes, you have a lifetime benefit with Medicare to get extensive diabetes education, which Mm. involves talking with a dietitian. Mm. So part of what we do in Gaston County, all of our facilitators that are trained in um, the self-management program, we try to refer them to as many programs as possible. Um, 
but for example, like our med instead of meds, you know, when we are promoting that, and I mentioned, if you have diabetes, this is a great option for you in managing diabetes okay. and to talk with your doctor. So that's another great op- program. Our lift program that Carly and I are doing right now, which is a physical activity program targeting older adults, and that stands for Lifelong Improvements through Fitness Together, originally started with Virginia Extension, and we offer that now in North Carolina. That is a great act program. You're required to get, you know, your a physician's consent to make sure you're eligible for it, but we're focusing on flexibility and strengthening and balance exercises, which are great for diabetes management. Okay. So the great thing, and you've, you guys have heard this, where we get to know people, and when you spend 16 hours with someone managing diabetes in our program, you get to know them. Yeah. Our classes are small. There's no more than 12. And so we do have that opportunity to connect with them and share. Plus, these programs, um, people are so empowered by others because you learn from what's working for someone else. You know, where do I find the least costly diabetes tools? Mm -hmm. Or, you know, oh, I didn't even know that I needed to go to a podiatrist to get a foot check. I didn't even know Medicare would cover that. We haven't even talked about feet, right? Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that, you know, that is one of the things that I absolutely love about that because in a clinical care or in your doctor's office, think about how much time that they actually have that's available to a new diabetes patient. Right. Probably not much at all. I mean, that they're just, you know, they have a lot of challenges. So these programs, they really get to connect and learn from each other and find resources. And that is one of the reasons why I feel so passionate about it. And there's no cost. You know, so come to a program, reach out and learn more. And then even like the American Diabetes Association website, tons of resources that many folks don't even know about. And, you know, you don't have to have a paid subscriber membership for that. You can just go out and get that. So we really do try to listen to folks and find out where they are and connect them. Sometimes transportation is an issue. So we work with adult services. Ruth Murphy and her staff are great because we put on all of our publications, um, especially for our older adults. If you qualify for senior transportation in Gaston County, then we can arrange for you to get transportation to come to these programs. Well, that's fantastic. And folks utilize that. We um, were doing this program in Cherryville, and we had someone from Gastonia that was using access to come to that, and she said, I wouldn't have been able to come if it wasn't for access. Mm -hmm. And, you know, folks in Cherryville may often be limited with transportation issues. So, yeah, we've got some really great resources for Gaston County folks. No, that's terrific. And, I I mean, we've talked about that before, but just the – all the different resources, whether it's different departments at the county, the state level, the federal level, nonprofit world – um, just being able to marshal all those resources. And I think a lot of times that's, that's a big part of kind of what we do is making sure that people know that that's out there because it's, it's not necessarily like something you would just know. Absolutely. And that, you know, the biggest champion that we have 
um, for any of these evidence-based chronic disease management programs is word of mouth. So we have folks who complete the program. They take a handful of flyers. They share it with their doctor, and then we start getting calls back, um, and it really does become that way. And thank goodness, like I mentioned, we have adult services and our senior centers, Mm -hmm. and we all partner and offer these classes, and we all communicate with each other. So we typically have a waiting list, you know, so, hey, the next time you're doing this class, will you contact John Doe here because he's really interested in the program. So we, you know, we're able to do that and work together. And, you know, typically when someone has one health issue like diabetes, there's some other underlying issues that we can recommend them to. Um, So many times we're, you know, talking about the health department and services through that if they're Mm underinsured. So that can be a great resource as well. Um, But, you know, it's a wonderful program. And I think I, I always learn from participants. I have learned more about diabetes from hearing the words and the stories that folks have shared than I probably ever even thought I would mm-hmm. as an educator. We're getting close to, to wrapping up, but I did want to kind of check in and see if there's anything else about kind of the, the program that you're going to be offering starting in November or anything else that we didn't touch on that you, that either Linda or Carly that you wanted to, to kind of go over. The only thing that I'll mention is, you know, you can reach out to us. You can always Google Gaston Extension. We have our programs listed on the county website, or you can call me directly at 704-922-2127 and, you know, learn more, and we can connect you to uh, some of the resources that are available. So excited to be offering this in person. The last time we offered the diabetes program, we did it by Zoom. Mm -hmm. And that was amazing. I must say, um, we had folks that were in their 80s learning to use computers, and we all did it together. And they said they were just grateful to be able to do it. So they were, you know, really interested. And, you know, these are are great opportunities that are of no cost. So encourage you to learn more for yourself or a family member. Awesome. Well, Carly Roseman and Linda Mingus, thank you so much for joining us. And, um, Like Linda was saying, um, go on the website, check out the information if you're interested in signing up for any of these classes or getting more information. Thank you. Yes, thank you so much.